Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller. You can find more about the show at christianchiller.com slash podcasts, where you will also now find my latest show. It is live. It is slowly making its way around podcast distribution networks around the world. The Enthusiastic Amateur, whose first episode with Sinclair Target uh, from 2-Bit History Blog, where we discuss computing history stories and characters from computing history. It was recorded a couple of months ago, but it's a really interesting conversation. And um, we talk about 1980s computing. We talk about where did all the women in computing go? We talk about and, and how that relates to advertising. We talk about Ada Lovelace. We talk about RSS, <laughs> all the important subjects. It's kind of in the middle of summer holidays over here in Europe right now and, and most of the rest of the world. So it's been somewhat difficult to confirm interviewees. So this is going to be just a links show. And I have a couple of interviews lined up coming soon to uh, get back to the usual format. So for now, let's begin with my weekly links. First, this was an article a couple of weeks back. Uh, it was reported widely, but this is from news.com.au. It's about an Australian company, so I picked Australian media. This is about Atlassian. Atlassian, that software company that you either love or hate, but they always have an interesting company culture. I've interviewed quite a few of their staff, and they're always quite positive about uh, the, the company culture. And this is an article about them taking that company culture even further. Atlassian ditches brilliant jerks. Uh, this, this aspect that you get in a lot of uh, software companies, well, I guess engineering companies full stop, where you have people who are really good coders, but assholes. Uh, and a lot of companies tolerate them because they get things done. Or do they? Do Are they actually more disruptive? Are they just obnoxious and corrupting to a company culture? And Atlassian has decided to say no to hiring more people like this. And at forthcoming reviews, people like this will slowly get weeded out unless they obviously decide to change. I mean, people can change. People can learn to not become a jerk. But it is difficult. I'm actually writing a book around this whole subject of... Uh, Developers not being jerks. It's, it's in progress. <laughs> uh, writing a book takes some time, but um, it's coming. It's coming. So if you do identify as a brilliant jerk, I'm writing a book to help you stop being one. But in the meantime, uh, have a look at news.com.au or any other outlet to read a little bit more about that subject. Next is an article from Tech EU, uh, an EU-focused tech website, as the name would imply. Quantum computing. Quantum computing is one of these subjects, much like blockchain, more of that later where depending who you are, you think it's going to save all computing or it's a complete waste of time and uh, there is no point to it. The quantum computing is quite fascinating. It's an aspect that uh, a processor, a, a computing unit doesn't have to be zeros and ones. It can actually be states in between. A lot of research is going into this. I have actually seen some quantum computers from IBM and Microsoft. There are some in the world. They look very, very strange. They actually kind of look like a cyberpunk analog devices. It's very odd. But um, none of them are really doing anything right now. There's a lot of promise of what quantum computing will do, but it hasn't done any of it yet. And this article is actually a list of 10 EU-based startups that are using quantum computing. I doubt they have their own machines. They're probably leasing them in the old-fashioned model from uh, Microsoft or Google or IBM, someone like that. The interesting thing looking down this list is firstly how every single company pretty much calls itself Q something or quantum something, which is a little maybe restricting for future 
future business, but that the use cases proposed, I don't know how active they are, are all quite diverse. We have things like chemical analysis. This is often, I mean, actually scientific analysis full stop is often cited as a very good use of quantum computing. We have companies just researching and building quantum processes and quantum kit, as it were. Uh, financial services, again, that kind of in-depth analysis of lots of data, space travel, <laughs> Quantum space travel already sounds like a science fiction show. Some more chemical analysis and then chemical analysis leading into pharmaceuticals, of course, the actual money-making end of chemistry. So if you're interested in seeing what quantum computing could actually be about and some companies actually working on potential real-world use cases and how far they're going, then have a look at this article by... Mary Lawrence on TechEU and click through on a couple of the companies and see what they're up to. Continuing in my little block of uh, articles about tech company progress, tech company growth, tech company culture. This is an article from Dice magazine by Nick Kolowoski about how tech unemployment hits 19 year low. We worry a lot about quantum computing, AI, machine learning, et cetera, et cetera, taking our jobs, but really at the moment, engineers, developers, tech employees, I don't know uh, what that includes in this article, have really nothing to worry about right now. This is based on numbers um, gathered by the US Bureau of Labor Statistics, but I guess they reflect a reasonable global number, maybe adjusted slightly up or down. And as of May, the tech unemployment rate was at 1.3% which is pretty low, although again, the statistics, lies, damn lies and statistics, what that really means, how you know who's employed, unemployed, employable, etc. not even looking, are they counted, etc., etc. is hard to gauge, but it gives an overall barometer slash yardstick of how the industry is doing, I guess. Ironically as well, most of the sectors that are hiring the most are those sectors that we maybe have the most to fear, things like artificial intelligence, and then also Internet of Things and stuff like that, which maybe we don't have to fear quite so much. So if you are involved in, as is kind of called like edge technologies, new technologies, then there's going to be work for you for a little while yet. If you're involved in some of the older technologies, then maybe it's time to start retraining and unsurprisingly, the low unemployment rate is forcing wages up because people who have the requisite skills can demand more for them. And interestingly, this has actually caused an uptick in wage growth after some stagnation for the past couple of years. So interestingly, often it looks like numbers are going continually down and then they can uptick surprisingly. Uh, and I suppose this is with a lot of these new technologies that companies are now starting to adopt them. Uh, at least in large scale prototypes and need people with the expertise or with the claimed expertise. I mentioned the dreaded B word there. Anyone who listens or reads my work regularly will know that I'm still moderately involved in blockchain and the Ethereum ecosystem, but I maintain a healthy pragmatism and skepticism about many projects. This is an interesting article on Neiman Lab written by Joshua Benton about a New York Times blockchain project that Help that aims to help convince uh, journalists or researchers that, uh, and, and just readers, that a photo is really who and what it says to be. I found this interesting. Neiman Labs is usually fairly blockchain uh, positive, but also, uh, I guess, with a, a dose of pragmatism. And the reason I found this article interesting is there is this, uh, there is this uh, tendency with blockchain projects to say, well, 
we can put it on the blockchain and it proves X, Y, and Z. But this doesn't always factor in the human aspect, the human factor. And one point that this article makes a lot is if it relies on a person to first say, this article was researched, this photo was um, is true, and it is what it says it is, and then relies on them to put that on the blockchain, that doesn't necessarily mean it's any more secure. You still have to pass... You, you still have to trust that person uh, in the first place. And, and this is the sort of sceptical angle running through the article about just putting it on the blockchain isn't actually enough. Uh, you also need to solve that trust issue in the first place. But then again, they are not the first company to try this. Uh, there have been startups like Media Chain Labs, um, who was acquired by Spotify to do something with general media files. And tracking physical provenance of uh, items, especially in logistics supply chains, has been something that blockchain is being used a lot for. I suppose the, the key aspect here is to maybe automate through machines the uh, the recognition process, which is somewhat easier maybe with physical goods. With photoshopped images and uh, manipulated images, it's slightly harder. It is becoming more possible. There was also recent news that there is an AI that can now recognize photoshopped images, which I actually found, frankly, surprising. I would have thought that would be easier. Um, if you look closely at images, it's usually fairly, well, not too challenging to spot that it's been manipulated. It gives off certain signals in the image, but also in the underlying histograms under the image. I remember studying this at university. Um, or I would have thought it would store something in some metadata, which of course can be stripped, but still. Um, so I'm actually frankly surprised that that hadn't happened before, but there's one way potentially that we could leverage the trustlessness of a machine instead of relying on a human journalist, but that only adds trust to one particular aspect of an image, of course, not the content, not the that um, the person isn't, I don't know, in makeup or costume, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, you have the blockchain journalist darling, Civil, who have been up and down like a roller coaster and in a somewhat quiet patch right now. And, and I think I will use the civil example in this article to kind of reiterate the, the point that the article is trying to make. That just because uh, an article, uh, an image is hashed on the blockchain, it does prove that it was published by a certain party at a certain time and that the version of the story you're looking at and the original version are not accurate because, or not the same because you can see the differences in hashes. That is a moderately old concept. But it doesn't, of course, verify the facts. It doesn't verify the report. It doesn't verify bias. It doesn't verify editorials, et cetera, et cetera. So interesting idea, but there are lots of uh, issues here. And I think, I think yes, combining it with maybe the machine-based learning slash artificial intelligence might be a solution to that. And, of course, we've heard many startups that combine this AI plus blockchain aspect. So interesting will remain to be seen. It's put out by the New York Times. I guess they know what they're doing. So we'll see what happens in the future. Finally, in kind of the, the deep tech uh, section, this is an article from Dev.2 from Ben Halpen entitled Medium was never meant to be a part of the developer ecosystem. And this caught my eye because I also work on a project that's somewhat equivalent to Dev.2, a blogging platform specifically aimed at developers that has a lot of features, functionality, formatting options, specifically aimed at technical content, which Medium does not. If you ever tried pasting code into Medium, you all know how irritating that is. And there's always backlash against the the uh, 
the non-underdog, I can't even think, overdog, <laughs> the winner, I'm not sure. Um, and Medium is that in the blogging world right now. There's backlash because they're doing more and more with uh, work with a paywall, which is annoying, but hey, people deserve to be paid. Um, they don't really seem to change the platform very much. They have the curated list that basically just seem to surface the same content over and over again. I got a little bit sick of that myself. I was actually invited in to the kind of insiders paywall um, area, but I'd never wrote the right sorts of articles, so never anything got picked, which seemed kind of pointless to me. It's like, if you're going to have a platform to allow alternative sorts of writing and opinion, then why just pick the same opinions all the time? And they, well, if you look at the medium's kind of highlights, they are all somewhat similar. Uh, and people will probably disagree with me on that, but that's my opinion. I am not entirely sure what Dev.2's business model is. It could very well be that they have the same problem themselves in a few years. It's always very easy to do whatever you want when you're just in fundraising and then slightly harder when people want their money back. So this is often when startups have to go from idealism to reality. Um, so we'll see what happens with Dev.2. I don't see ads. I'm not entirely sure how they fund themselves. Um, but they will have to at some point. I know they have some editorial staff, uh, skeleton staff, but they have to be paid somehow. So it may be that Dev.2 experiences the same backlash in a few years. But in the meantime, have a read, see if you agree. I would love to hear your thoughts and you can find ways to feedback to me and give me your opinion at christianchiller.com slash podcast. Now kind of rounding off the, uh, the, the tech segment, I also brought the subject up uh, last week. I have been experimenting and reading a lot around interactive fiction. I, I shared an article last time on Twine. This is a little bit of a follow-up to that from The Guardian. Again, not a new article. This is actually from 2014 by Lee Alexander. The Joy of Text, The Fall and Rise of Interactive Fiction. It's actually pretty much a simple article. It just explains what interactive fiction is and then has a bunch of uh, interactive fiction projects you might like to try at the end. And uh, I've been having some fun with those and I thought I would share it with you so you can join me on my journey of exploring interactive fiction, which reminds me, I should tell you again, that my uh, role play game, which is sort of semi-interactive fiction, is currently available at onedaytheworldended.com. And you can also find two of my interactive fiction works for the Expedition Game Engine at christianchiller.com slash writing. And then I think it's under the fiction writing. So that's uh, some of my experiments. And I'll be doing a lot more. I think I'm going to next get involved with my first like full-on twine game as well. Next, an article from Victoria Turk, who works for Wired UK. This is a specific article from Wired UK. Why mindfulness and therapy puppies ignore what's really wrong with working life. This, uh, I mean, this post is, is interesting, but it's somewhat obvious, maybe, and is has been said before, this aspect that um, companies now are offering so much more in terms of football tables and massage and free food and free coffee. And this is all very well and good, but if you have a shitty company culture, then it doesn't fix anything. And sometimes they are used uh, as an easy way out to not fix the serious stuff. Uh, the article points out that most people would much rather not work long hours, have companies and bosses and management teams that respect them and give them this psychological freedom to experiment and, and fail. Uh, rather have that than puppies and massage and have to work 80 hours with assholes, basically. I guess maybe I should have actually lumped this with the Atlassian article. <laughs> they are somewhat closely related. This also feeds into subjects I brought up time and again, and uh, again, we'll be going into this book I'm working on, 
of things like companies that offer you unlimited holidays, which is actually a bit of a sneaky trick. Uh, it's not as good as it may initially seem because it actually means that the company doesn't have to declare as giving you any holiday and don't have to pay you it out at the end of the year in certain countries and things like this. So there's a lot of this kind of, uh, I guess, saying one thing and, and, and doing another with a lot of tech companies and startups where they sort of polish a turd with distractions, shall we say. It's like we've got a crappy company, you're paid crap, you work bad hours, but hey, unlimited holiday, kind of. Football table, way, and then, or even uh, things like the article points out. You know, I'm not so into football tables and meditation and mindfulness sessions. I got my own ways. I would like to relax, and sometimes being forced to do these things or being forced by peer pressure well, actually makes you feel even more uncomfortable. So yeah, company culture—it's hard. <laughs> Lassian is discovering this. Other companies are discovering this. If this is a subject that is relatively new to you, then uh, have a read of the article. And again, I'd love to hear your feedback. What's the companies that you work for like? And finally, an, an article again from the Guardian, a more recent one from Hannah Devlin. I have brought this subject up several times, I suppose, because we visited last October, and it sticks in my mind. An article about Pompeii. Interestingly, what I have followed this story is they were excavating new areas of Pompeii whilst we were there. And then literally the next week, they announced these new finds they'd had and we saw them digging it up. So I couldn't help but keep continuing following the thread. But now, as rivalry between various scientific factions, that some believe that the new items should just be left where they are. Um, because... They have enough, but also because they are destroying evidence about the lava flow. You know, what actually brought Pompeii to its knees in the first place, just for the sake of having relics to kind of display in in a living museum that is already pretty big. It takes you all day to walk around. Is more needed? What will they learn from digging up more remains instead of keeping the kind of geographical features in uh, in place instead? So, yeah, I, I have followed this with interest because of the personal connection, but also because, you know, you get these differences of opinions with scientists and things. And I guess there's one side that wants to keep filling the, the, the museum, the park, whatever you want to call it, with more things for people to overlap. There's others who want to learn new things from Pompeii and the lessons it teaches us. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> if you're into science, history, scientific rivalries, which are always fun, then take a read. And that was my roundup of links for the week. I hope to have some new interviews again for you soon. I'm currently arranging a handful from new blockchain companies, of course, to people behind the Berlin Startup Night, to uh, people involved with some Apache software projects, a whole bunch of interviews coming down the line very soon once we get over the holiday bump. In the meantime, you'll keep hearing from me with some links and spruiking some of the things I have been working on. So to reiterate that, you can go to christianchella.com and you can find my writing, my fiction projects, my game projects. You can support me buying merchandise. I'm going to be updating that merchandise section very soon. Um, you can also listen to previous episodes now uh, straight from the page. You can find my new podcast. Oh, so many good things. Um, you can also see my uh, curated lists each week on blockchain, ethics in tech, and sort of what I loosely call language or conversational interfaces, things like that. You could also now find me officially as a as a sort of personality on Facebook, facebook.com slash Christian Chiller. I have split out my um, personal and kind of work profiles. 
I am currently in the process of building out a chatbot that will give you the latest news and things like that from that page. So that will be coming soon. It is work in progress. And you can still find me on Twitter at Chris Chinch. So whichever way you prefer, I would love to hear from you. Please rate, review, share, tell your friends if you enjoyed the show. Um, also, I, I must say thanks to some weird who knows what. My recent article on Microsoft Bosky with Mark Maron and the accompanying podcast were on fire a couple of weeks ago on a weekend of all times. I'm not entirely, we're not entirely sure what caused the spike, but the article got a ridiculous amount of traffic and so did the podcast and any new listeners coming from that. Welcome on board. Um, I will try to get more interviews like that to, to keep you coming back in the meantime. But yes, yet again, I hope you enjoyed my selection of links for the week. And if you have been, thank you very much for listening.